Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a quick jaunt across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, Matt? Uh, glad to talk to you again. I know it's been a while since you and I have seen each other. I mean, you were just over here an hour and a half ago chomping some ribs and wing, uh, ribs and pizza. And, the, and don't forget about the broccoli. Got to have a little, little bit of greens some, in there. Got to have some greens in there. Got to be healthy, healthy enough to do the show at least. So uh, glad to have another, uh, glad to have another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed our extravaganza on the last episode. Yeah, that was quite the extravaganza. We're pushing two hours there. We're going to try to be a little bit more concise today, gentlemen. Um, so, uh, but we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who appreciates Jackie Chan almost as much as I do. It's our own intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. You know, I've been having a hankering to watch the original Police Story and Rumble in the Bronx, maybe like a double feature. Uh, have you seen uh, The Foreigner yet? Not yet. Looks incredible. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about going tomorrow. So uh, hopefully I can uh, make a quick, maybe maybe a matinee before, before Coach's game down at Hillsborough tomorrow night. Mm. You know, I ran into Jackie Chan one time when we were living in California, Matt. And he, he told me if there's one thing he does not like, it's David Beatty coaching. Well, you know what? I, I can't blame him. I mean, even if you grew up in Hong Kong, you can understand that David Beatty's play calling is uh, quite questionable. <laughs> would, a, would a Hong Kong high school team beat Kansas? I think it'd be pretty close. I mean, the spread would be uh, probably about the same as it is uh, of, say, I don't know, them versus UAB. (laughs) So anyhow, we have a lot to get to here in week eight. So we're going to hop right into it with some quick slants. Uh, Josh, you got a, you're you're going to go first. I think you got a a game out in the Mountain West. And in the MAC. Yeah. Starting with the MAC, there's three undefeated teams left in the MAC, and two of them face each other. Akron, 3-0 and in conference, 4-3 and overall. They head across the state, down the state. I don't know. I probably should look at a map to see where they are in relation to each other. But anyway, they head to Toledo, who's 5-1, and 2-0 and in the MAC. They are actually in opposite divisions, despite being in the same state. So there's a potential for this to be a uh, preview for a later Mac title game. And then the other game, the Mountain West one, Wyoming and Boise State, they've been a little up and down this year, but they're both four and two, and they're both undefeated in the Mountain West at identical 2 and 0 records. That game's on the Smurf turf. Always fun to see Jake Allen. Nice. Uh, yeah, that'll definitely be fun up there. Uh, Coach, I know you're actually heading down to the high school rankings for your first slam. Yeah, and I'm actually going to stay in the state of Tennessee. Uh, David or David Crockett, David Crockett High School. I think it's back out in East Tennessee, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's over in the 
Knoxville area. They, uh, they're going through a bit of a crisis with their head coaching situation. Um, they're on their third head coach, not for the year, but for the week. <laughs> um, so here's how it happened. Um, they hired at the beginning before the, prior to the season, they hired former NFL safety, Gerald Sensabaugh, formerly of the Tennessee Titans, uh, amongst other teams. They were off to a five and two start. Pretty good. You know, not bad. You're thinking, okay, this guy's good. We're, we're, we're good. So, uh, about a week ago, he was placed on indefinite administrative leave after being reprimanded for verbal abuse of the players. Since Bob fired back with claims of improprieties against the administration, and there's an ongoing investigation. All right, so that leads to a bunch of turmoil, um, you know, some distractions, as you can imagine. So they have assistant coach Brandon Qualls, who was named interim head coach. Um, he was given the directive to unite the team. And uh, they got – they formally – or they got uh, promptly trounced 35-13 uh, later that week against Bristol. So Qualls allegedly made some comments that divided the team further, basically probably following Sensabaugh's lead. He was probably more – had more allegiance to Sensabaugh than he did the administration. So the administration did not like that. Um, and some players were questioning whether or not they were going to actually – even suit up for the rest of the year. So um, here's where it turns again. Um, after that game, the administration decided to make another change as head coach, this time uh, bringing in somebody from the outside. Uh, this guy named Nick Lingerfeld, he, he teaches special ed at the school and was hired three months ago as a head baseball coach and describes his limited football experience as the get-back coach and bus driver at his previous stops. All right. So uh, when he stepped in, he fired everyone except one guy. Um, he has some of his other baseball coaches assisting, a couple of his friends that are going to come down, so uh, they're going to help him. So, um, but, yeah, he, uh, his first game will be this week against Daniel Boone High School in the first – or in their annual Musket Bowl. So – I'm going to keep my eyes on uh, on the musket bowl this year now that I know the story. Some crazy things going on at David Crockett. I'm probably going to stay pretty far away from that job. So, And, and yet it's still more stable than uh, this coaching situation just up the street at the University of Tennessee. Well, what, I, what I'm surprised by with David Crockett is that they're allowed to field a team. I would expect the state of Tennessee to step in. I mean, they're playing wearing coonskin hats. I mean, that's just not safe. I know that's just it's just improper uh, headgear. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's it's a scandal brewing. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I didn't realize that you could make, um, you know, I, I didn't realize that you could make a, a uniform out of uh, tanned cowhide. So, well, they yeah. seem to do it, and they they fashioned some shoulder pads out of tree branches. <laughs> Good for them, man. Good for them. King of the wild frontier. All right. Being resourceful. 
Well, um, my first slant uh, is, as this season should become to known, the season that Matt uh, went all in on the Ivy League. Uh, um, so obviously I am heading to my own hometown of Hanover, New Hampshire, for my first slant where Dartmouth is hosting Columbia in a battle of surprise unbeatens. This is only the 11th time in the history of the Ivy League that two teams with records of 5-0 and or better are facing off against one another. Uh, Columbia is coming off of a huge upset of Penn last week at home in overtime. And uh, coupled with their win over Princeton three weeks ago, this is the first time since 1971 that they have swept their two biggest rivals. The Lions are second in the nation in terms of average time of possession at the FCS level, uh, much thanks to their quarterback, Anders Hill, and wide receiver Josh Wainwright, both of whom have been absolutely stellar this season. Hill is averaging 273 yards per game through the air, uh, and about 108 of those every game are going to Wainwright on average. Uh, on the flip side, Dartmouth is hoping to continue their historical dominance over Columbia. They hold a 68-18-1 all-time advantage over the denizens of the Big Apple. Jack Hennigan uh, continues to shine for the Big Green behind center. He's completing 65% of his passes with an 11-2 touchdown interception ratio, spreading the ball around really nicely uh, to, I think, what it's turned into possibly the ancient eights best receiving core. Uh, Hunter Hagdorn, Emery Thompson, Drew Honeycutt, and Dylan Meller have all at least had one game over 100 yards this season. They won last week, even without their number one receiver in Hagdorn, but Emery Thompson and Honeycutt both stepped up in big ways last week. On the defensive side of the ball, Jack Trainer is the Big Green's middle linebacker and the heart and soul of that defense. He's second in the conference with 47 tackles through five games. But if one thing you've got to worry about with the Big Green um, – they're probably going to be a little susceptible to the pass, and they're down their best defensive lineman again this week. So their cornerbacks are going to be tested even more against uh, the passing attack by the Lions, obviously by Hill and Wainwright, are going to be very difficult to defend. Dartmouth has won their last four games by a combined eight points. So I'm expecting another close one up at Memorial Field, right there on Lebanon Street, across from my dear alma mater, Hanover High School, home of the Marauders. Uh, I'm going to take the big green at home, 30-27, to 27, to move to 6 and. O in the Ivy. Are your parents going to the game? Uh, I don't think so. My mom actually just had surgery, so she is uh, homebound for the moment. Wow, that is disappointing. Yes, it is disappointing. Um, they do, they typically go to the Dartmouth Princeton game every year, though. So um, whenever that's happening, they'll be there. Mm. So um, anyhow, um, Josh, uh, what have you got for your second slant? Well, originally I was going to do a pair of Conference USA games, but that North Texas-Florida Atlantic game is so intriguing, we moved that to the spread formations. So I decided to call an audible. I got three put-up-or-shut-up games. Ooh, I like it. Uh, so Marshall is vastly improved from what they were last year. They're 5-1, and 2-0 and in Conference USA, but they travel to Murfreesboro, I know the Blue Raiders aren't as good as we had hoped for at three and four, one and two in conference, but this is still a program that we love the direction of it. We think Middle Tennessee State is always a player in Conference USA. So Marshall, put up or shut up today for this weekend as far as I'm concerned. Uh, then the other two are both in the Sun Belt. Uh, Georgia State, three and two overall, but they are part of a trio of undefeated teams in conference sitting at two and oh. They host in their beautiful Georgia State Stadium, the former 
Turner Field. They host Troy, who despite coming off of that upset against South Alabama, they're four and two. They're one and one in the league. They're one of the most well-oiled machines in the Fun Belt. Georgia State put up or shut up this Saturday. And then lastly, one of the most pleasant surprises, Louisiana Monroe, the Warhawks. Three and three overall, but they're sniffing around a conference title right now at the midway point. See that three and one in conference. They travel to Lod People Stadium and down there in Mobile to take on South Alabama, who has a knack of spoiling team season. So Warhawks put up or shut up this Saturday. And both those Sunbelt games on ESPN3, I'm going to be streaming them while having other games on the big screen because I'm really curious about Georgia State and Louisiana Monroe. Rock Chalk Warhawk, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Josh, I also know that Mobile is home to one of your favorite uh, minor league baseball team names, the oh, Mobile the Bay, Bay Bay Bears. Yeah. Uh, nothing like getting the word Bay in twice in one title. Uh, Coach, uh, what are you looking at for your second slam? The Mobile Bay Bears. <laughs> the Mobile Bay Bay Bears. There you have Bay it. Bay the Bay Bay Bears. The Bay Bay Bears. Um, my quick slant, uh, I'm, I'm kind of going off the beaten path again. I'm, I'm promoting my second quick slant from high school to Division three, which I'm still trying to figure out if it's a promotion or not. But in this case, it depends I'll on the you, high school. Yeah, and it depends on the college. I'll let you decide. So uh, Occidental College, a college you're probably somewhat familiar with, Matt, uh, being that you lived in L.A. for a long period of time, um, they have decided that it's – that it's in their best interest to cancel their football t- season because of a depleted roster. Um, this comes on the heels of canceling two of its first five games. They were down to 35 players, and they only had one healthy defensive lineman, which is not good. That could be a problem. Um, they were 0-3 in the games they were able to play. They lost 61-6 to to Puget Sound, 72-13 to to Redlands, and 37 to nothing. That was, a, that was a defensive slugfest against Claremont Mud Scripts. Um, so they decided to uh, cancel the season and rebuild their roster. Now, uh, an update to that, this Division Three uh, team that, that participates in the Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, try to say that three times fast, um, they have filed a Title IX complaint, an anonymous party, has filed a Title IX complaint with Occidental College and the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights, alleging that direct, uh, Athletic Director Jamie Hoffman and the Department of Athletics hold an anti-male basis or anti-male bias that has compromised the football team and its players' reputation. Uh, the claim centers on lack of support for football program um, and uh, history of unpleasant interactions. So basically – Evidence of that would be a lot of the players on the team um, had to buy their own helmets because they didn't feel like the helmets that were being provided were uh, adequate enough. So the, I guess the coon, they tried to give them coonskin caps, I guess, for their helmets. Thinking, <laughs> like, as you know, in the movie Major League, they try to make all these budget cuts and, you know, it's dramatized. I think you're seeing that in real life here at Occidental College. You know, they're like taking away the team plane making them ride the bus and stuff like that in Major League. Uh, they're, they're doing some of the similar stuff there. They're providing with inadequate equipment, um, you know, and making it to where some high schools probably have better 
equipment. So I uh, just thought that was kind of odd. I've never seen that before. I've never seen a college be uh, be depleted the way that they are and be in such bad financial shape as far as that goes. I figured every college had some way of fundraising and supporting its program, but I guess Occidental College is not one of those programs. So I had two jokes. I want to say them both, and whichever one is better, Matt, you can then artfully edit in. So, I'm just going to leave them both in. So. so, Coach, I just got an update across the wire. Occidental College has changed their name to Accidental College. Okay, I like that. I like that. The other one is, hey, Coach, I just got across the wire. Following suit, Tennessee has decided to forfeit the rest of their season as well. <laughs> I like that even more. De- depleted rosters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, um, um, for my for my slant, uh, we're halfway through the season now, guys. It's crazy. Um, you know, we're here in week eight, so I want to take uh, a midseason run through, uh, at least in my own uh, opinion, who should be the or who are the who are the who is in pole position halfway for all the individual awards in college football. I'm going to start. These are Ivy League awards. What's that? These are the Ivy League awards, right? Uh, unfortunately, not. Unfortunately, uh, not. I, I will not. Uh, I will not be doing the Walter Payton Award um, for the best FCS player, but um, I will, uh, though heavily. Uh, I, I wish I could prominently feature some Ivy League players, but alas, um, I'm going to start at the top with pick, who, uh, is Brian Piccolo. Pick Piccolo uh, from oh gosh, what's the name of that movie? Um, Brian Song. Brian, Brian Song, Song, of course. Good grief. Um, anyhow, um, I'm going to start at the top with the uh, with the person uh, who I think should win the Heisman, as well as the Maxwell and Walter Camp. For me, I'm just throwing them all into one as the best player in college football. For me, that's been Bryce Love. He has been head and shoulders um, above everyone else, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the Stanford running back so far this year, um, on 135 carries, has 1,387 yards and 11 scores. He's averaging more than 10 yards per rush. It's absolutely unreal what he has done so far. Um, he is just short of pace to break uh, Barry Sanders' all-time uh, single-season rushing record. So, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, uh, he's got some softer defenses to go against here in the second half of the season as well. He's got a, uh, a decent shot of doing it. Obviously, he would get my Doak Walker then as well as the best running back. Uh, Davey O'Brien Award, best quarterback. Uh, for me, that's going to go to Mason Rudolph of – uh, of Oklahoma State uh, through six games. Uh, he's got 2,368 yards, 19 touchdowns, only four interceptions. He's been, you know, really great, even though Oklahoma State did have um, that tough loss to TCU. Uh, they've been, you know, doing really, really well. And I've got his teammate winning the Bolitnikoff, James Washington. Um, he is absolutely a stud. 34 catches for 882 yards. Guys, uh, that's good for um, about to almost 25 yards a catch, which is absurd. He's got six touchdowns. Not as many as someone like David Sills, who's just you know still catching touchdowns uh, right now for West Virginia. But uh, James Washington is as close to as an un- uncoverable player as you have in the NCAA. The Mackey Award, best tight end. Um, I'm taking Adam Brenneman from UMass. UMass has not won a game yet this year, but it is not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of throwing to their tight end. Um, he has been, you know, 
truly, truly outstanding this year. The senior tight end uh, through, uh, he's only played five games, but he's got 36 catches for 500 yards um, and a couple scores. And he has just, uh, you know, which you know gives you 7.2 catches per game. Uh, you know, one of the leading receiving tight ends in all of the country. The guy I probably would have considered up there with him would have been Caleb Wilson from UCLA, but unfortunately he got hurt and is out for the rest of the season. Outland Trophy for the best interior lineman. Uh, I'm giving it to Orlando Brown from Oklahoma, who's been doing a great job of keeping ba- Baker Mayfield uh, upright there. I don't think there's any, you know, truly elite, elite level um, offensive lineman this year, um, at least that I have seen, uh, especially at the tackle position. We haven't had uh, someone as dominant as Ryan Ramchick like we saw last year um, or some of the other players that we've had, you know, obviously Wisconsin players, but, uh, you know, obviously from other schools as well in years prior. Uh, the Lombardi Trophy for the best uh Defense, uh, for the best defensive lineman, I'm giving to Bradley Chubb from North Carolina State. Uh, he has, uh, uh, six and a half sacks, uh, so far, uh, to go along with, uh, 14 tackles for a loss. Um, you know, in, in those 14 tackles for a loss, uh, he, he's, uh, made teams lose 67 yards on those tackles. It's pretty, pretty darn impressive. Um, the Remington Award Best Center, Bradley Bozeman at Alabama, uh, for the the uh, Bednarik and Nagurski Awards for um, Best Overall Defensive Player. I'm giving to Hercules Mataafa at Washington State. He's been a guy who's really uh, popped for me um, every time I turn on and watch the Cougs. The Buckus Award, Nation's Best Linebacker, Josie Jewell at Iowa. He is in a class of his own. He is the second leading tackler in uh, – uh, he's the leading tackler in the Big Ten and one of the leading tacklers in all of the country – um, and he is just everywhere for that Hawkeyes defense. Um, the Thorpe Award, best defensive back. Uh, Jalen Davis out of Utah State. Probably not seen a lot of him um, out in the Mountain West, but he's already got uh, he's already got five interceptions on uh, uh, he's already got five interceptions on the season, and he's returned three of them. Uh, for touchdowns, he has been everywhere on for, and he's been everything for a Utah State team that has been sort of middling throughout the year. Uh, Grozer Award for the best kicker, Rodrigo Blankenship for Georgia, not just because he's one of the most accurate kickers in the nation, but on his kickoffs, he's kicking them through the end zone almost every single time. Ray Guy Award for the punter, uh, Johnny Townsend of Florida is, uh, you know, in many ways in a class of his own, much like Josie Jewell. Uh, he, uh, for the season is averaging, um, averaging 48 and a half yards per punt. Uh, you know, obviously for him, he punts a lot cause he plays for a Florida team that can't move the ball. So he gets a lot of opportunities, but he's making most of them best returner in the country, Dante Pettis at Washington. I think that's, uh, pretty much a no brainer, uh, Teams have just stopped kicking to him because he seems to return break one for a touchdown every single game. Freshman of the year, Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. I mean, um, I mean, what more is there to say about this kid that we haven't said already? Uh, uh, we haven't said already. I mean, through his first six career games, he has nine hundred and eighty-six yards. Um, 
on 127 attempts. He's averaging uh, 7.76 yards per carry, which is fourth best in the country. Um, He is uh, getting, uh, uh, so his yards per game is 164.3, which is third best in the country. I mean, all this for a true freshman is uh, pretty outstanding. My coach of the year, Scott Frost at UCF. Uh, UCF has been, uh, you know, more than a pleasant surprise. They've been one of the best teams throughout the season. Um, and I think they have as good a chance as anyone to make it through the season undefeated. Um, and my Frank Broyles award, finally, for the best assistant coach on the year, I'm giving it to Mel Tucker, Georgia's defensive coordinator. I think that Georgia's defense is the most complete defense in the country, and they have thoroughly routinely impressed me every single week uh, this year. And when I watch Georgia, I see a team that is physical and dominant and is able to shut down multiple different kinds of attacks. So kudos to Mel and that defensive unit. All right. Any, uh, any additions or questions you have for me there? Yeah. Uh, What does Brian Ferris need to do to win the Broyles? Uh, he needs to have an offense that actually moves the ball. Perfect. I'll relay that information for their game at Northwestern. Thanks, what about uh, David Beatty? How does he? How does he become coach of the year? Um, Josh, you can relay this to him. To, uh, he can. He can uh, turn on his PlayStation and put in NCAA football. Yeah, he's going to have to and knock it shut out by Iowa State. <laughs> that might help. Um, so, uh, you know, and, uh, you, both of you guys should be happy. I had at least one, uh, one constituent from each of your schools in there. So, um, anyhow, uh, it's I have two. I have hot rod. You, you got hot. I mean, I love hot rod. He, he's, he's, he's my, he's my second favorite kicker in the country. Um, after, after the, uh, after the portly Brazilian that kicks for Wisconsin, yeah. uh, Rafael Gaglianone, who you coached against in high school. Uh-huh. Um, so you don't have it, to. You don't have to see his kicks to know. Yeah, you hear them. They just boom off of his foot. Okay, guys. Um, I think I've got the easiest pop quiz to date uh, for us today. So, gentlemen, in the AP poll era, that is 1936 until uh, today, 21 teams have spent more than 10 weeks at number one. Mm. Uh, your uh, your job is to name those 21 teams, starting with Josh. More than 10 weeks at number one in the AP poll. Michigan. Michigan is correct. Florida State went wire to wire in 1999. Yep, Florida State is number six. The Ohio State University at they're, Columbus. They're number one. They spent 105 weeks atop the AP poll. The Crimson Tide. That is correct. They are number four, 97 weeks. L'état de croissant. Is that the French version of that? The, the what? I was trying to say Crimson Tide in French. It oh, didn't go well. Yeah, um, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think Crimson. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, I, I don't think that. I think you said croissant. Like, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think it's just saying a, a croissant tide. I mean, that'd be a very tasty tide. I would eat that tide more than I would uh, want to drink a crimson tide. But anyhow, go on. Uh, I gotta say, considering they have the NCAA's longest winning streak, that Oklahoma feels like a pretty safe bet. Number two, 101 weeks at number one. I've got to say, as much ass kicking as Nebraska was doing back in the day, 
I got to say Nebraska. Number seven, it's 70 weeks. Mm, let's see. Um, I mean, based on their run in the 80s, I feel like Penn State is got to be somewhere, right? Penn State's number 15. They've spent 21 weeks atop. All right. It's all about the U. It's all about the U. You're correct. Miami's number eight at 68 weeks. Uh, Fighting Irish. Fighting Irish number three, 98 weeks to top. Yes. Uh, USC. They're number five. Uh, they spent 91 weeks atop the poll. You guys have hit all the top eight now. Uh, how old is the AP poll again? Since 36. Oh, then, God, the 1940s Army. Correct. Army's number 14. They spent 27 weeks atop of the poll, but they have not appeared at number one since 1958. Irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I'm going to say... Damn, why not um, Let's see. I'm going to say... At the very tail end of the list, I'm going to say the early '80s Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia Bulldogs, number 19. They've done. They've been on top of the poll for 15 weeks. Um, did I have a brain fart, or did we ever say Texas? We have not said Texas. Uh, they are. They are number nine. They've spent 45 yeah. weeks atop of the poll. I was so thinking now, about those Vince Young teams, and I was like, they had to be at 10, but then obviously their history is. Much more significant than just Vince. Yeah. Yeah. But that popped in my mind. All right, coach. Hmm. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of some of those dominant teams back in the 90s, which is really just Florida State. The Hokies were never there. Five seconds. <laughs> Damn. Oh, shit, I don't even know. Uh, have we said Michigan yet? We, that was the first one said was Michigan. Oh. Damn. I must have fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> ooh. Um, Come on, Coach. We, we, we got three more SEC teams in here. LSU. LSU is number 12. They spent 30 weeks at number one. Oh, that was my next one. Uh... Okay, so I know they spent at least a month there in 85 and based on winning a title in in 58 and going to a Rose Bowl in 56, I got to go with my hometown Hawkeyes. Are they in there? They are number 21, the last one. They have spent 11 weeks. Yes. At number one. That's exciting. Nice. All right. So uh, left, we have uh, we've got two teams from the SEC. We've got uh, two teams from the, the Florida Gators. Yes, that's correct. They're number ten, forty-one weeks atop the poll. And um, let's see, <clears throat> didn't uh, what's his face like Don James or whatever of a Washington? Didn't they have like? 
20 straight wins at one point, like in the early 90s. Great pull, Josh. The University of Washington, 15 weeks atop the pole, uh, most of the which was in the early 90s. Last appearance was 92 atop the pole. Nice. All right. Um, so that leaves us with two teams in the Big Ten, one team in the SEC, and one team in the ACC. The only other relevant team in the SEC is the Vols. That is correct. Tennessee has spent 18 weeks atop the pole. Uh, last time seen there, they were a quarterback by T. Martin. Oh, yeah. nice. Uh, I think I know the Big Ten teams. Thanks for that hint that there's two more. Um, I got to go with Sparty. They won a title in the 60s with Duffy Doherty. Correct. Michigan State number 13. They spent 29 weeks atop the pole. Nice. Hmm. All right. Um, this, let's see. So we got one so, ACC and one Big Ten left. Ooh, you, got, you guys are 19 for 19 so far. I'm very impressed. Nice. Let's see. ACC. Uh, hold on. I got to think hard on this one. Hold on. ACC. Uh, oh, I no. Okay. That's just a guess. Georgia Tech. No, the Ramblin' Wreck uh, have... They won a national championship in 1990, so... Yeah, but they have not... Uh, they have not spent more than 10 weeks on mm. the top of the poll. Sorry. Uh, Josh, for the win. Uh, well, I got one question before yeah. I give the Big Ted team that I'm pretty sure it is. How many teams have been ranked number one just period? Um, there have been uh, 44. Oh, wow, that's way fewer than I would have guessed. Um, anyway, the other team that I was going to guess from the Big Ten, I feel pretty confident on this. Uh, because of their run in the 1940s, their golden decade, the Gophers became the Golden Gophers. You know it, Josh. The golden decade for the Golden Gophers. Uh, at number 17, tied with Tennessee, they spent 18 weeks atop the AP poll. There's one team left. Uh Josh. ACC, you said, right? ACC. So a couple teams popped into my head. Coach said one of them with Georgia Tech. Um, I was thinking maybe Clemson, title in the 80s, and a recent title now. Clemson falls just short. They've only been atop the pole for eight weeks. Um, my other guess was Dan Marino, Tony, Tony Rosette. So those Pittsburgh teams? Yes, that is correct. Pitt, and oh, wow. okay. Pitt has spent 21 weeks atop the pole. I didn't think of Pitt because they haven't been in the ACC for very long. I know. Um, had I said a, a, a former Big East team, I think it would have been a little bit easier. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. uh, gentlemen, great work today. Great yeah, work. Well done, Coach. That was awesome. Yeah, you, 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 guys, you guys killed it. Uh, you guys killed it on that one. So well done. Um, so it's time for us to move on to our deep roots. We're going to start in, I guess, what was is now sort of my ex conference because I, I've adopted the Ivy as, as as my number one. So sorry, American, but you guys have uh, maybe the game that I'm most excited to watch this weekend: UCF, UCF at Navy. I mean, Scott Frost. Uh, you know, I talked about him earlier as. You know, my coach of the year so far, uh, UCF is 5-0, and 3-0 in conference. They're seven-and-a-half-point favorites on the road in Annapolis at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. Uh, we're going to have uh, – I think we're going to have a lot of yards on the ground, Josh. Yeah, I am really intrigued about this game as well. But I uh, 
I think the Knights are going to win it relatively easily when we're looking back on it. I think they'll blow it open in the second half because Navy just makes me a little nervous. I didn't really like them against Memphis. I thought their conference or their schedule thus far had been really light. The Knights, I go the complete opposite way. They destroyed Maryland, uh, beat up uh, Memphis, who just took down Navy. UCF is clicking, you know, all over the field. They're firing all cylinders. You mentioned their running attack. They do it by committee. Uh, they have several guys hovering around 200 yards, and one person, Adrian Killens Jr., hovering around 300, but all told as a team, uh, over 1,100 rushing yards. But the two things I like most about this team, their defense is lights out thus far, 14th best in the country in terms of points against, and their passing attack I absolutely love. Uh, Mackenzie Milton shredding it, almost 1,500 yards, 70% completion rate, 15 TDs, two interceptions, and they have five receivers in double-digit receptions. I know Triquan Smith leads the way, but they're spreading it out all over the field. You've got to love this Knights team. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you look at how – how uh, UCF is preparing for this. As everyone knows, Scott Frost was a tremendous option quarterback at, um, at Nebraska. And so one of the things that is making him stand out as coach of the year and why I like him as coach of the year is because he's not afraid to jump in there and get dirty with it, with his players. He put on a helmet this week and played scout team quarterback for, uh, for the golden Knights. So um, they will be ready for the option attack. It's very rare that you see a quarterback uh, that is that can run the option as effectively as Scott Frost did. So uh, their defense will be prepared. They will get an adequate look um, from their scout team this week, and, and it should be a fun game um, up there for the Middies and uh, and the Knights. And I, I'm I'm kind of thinking UCF is going to keep rolling just because just what they do, um, just what they do in offense. They're they're averaging 50 points a game. They're just they're clicking on all cylinders. Uh, their defense is going to be well-prepared. I think they have a great game plan. I think Frost has done a tremendous job not only just uh, recruiting and not only bringing good, great schemes to to, uh, to Orlando, but I think he's recruited as well as you could um, at Central Florida, given the fact that when he took over, he was taking over an 0-11 program that was heading down the tubes. And uh, as, a, as a rookie head coach, he did a good job of turning the culture around and making them believe that, hey, we're actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to, he can pretty much have any job in the country right now. But, man, how much fun do you think it was at practice this week, uh, especially for that defense with their head coach uh, running the option quarterback? Um, I hope they got to watch some highlights of him from back uh, in the day. Coach, you and I were watching some of his highlights tonight at dinner, actually. Um, yeah, you, that, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, I guess you didn't realize he played at uh... – well, I knew he had Nebraska ties. I didn't realize that he had been the starting quarterback there. So. Oh yeah, he he is. Uh, yeah, he he is. Uh, he's been. He was a tremendous. He he was. Uh, he was. I think he was a part of the play. You remember the kick play where like it was at Missouri, and they every single one of the highlights we watched seemed to be at Missouri too, which is kind of funny. But one of his most famous plays was. He threw a ball and the receiver like dropped it and kicked it back up in the air and another guy caught it or something like that. That was probably his most famous highlight. But yeah, he was 
I mean, he was a tremendous quarterback for, for the Huskers um, right before they quit their uh, triple option stuff. It was pretty impressive seeing them watch it, watching them run the triple option out of the I formation. But, I mean, guy could sling it too. I mean, they were, they were truly uh, – they were truly a dual threat team. You know, they could, they could kill you with the option and they could kill you in the passing game. And man, he was, he was a special quarterback for, for the Huskers and he can have that job if he wants it. Absolutely. I'm not trying to look too far down the line, but man, week 13 could be a special one. We could have undefeated UCF at undefeated USF uh, for the American East title, which would be um, just an absolutely spectacular matchup. Um, but uh, speaking of uh, really good matchups, we've got uh, one in the Big Ten this weekend uh, when Michigan and their defense um, are headed to Happy Valley for the whiteout at Penn State. Um, you know, obviously Michigan's offense has been, um, let's just say, a work in progress, and that might be being kind to it. Uh, John O'Corn looks lost out there, but. Uh, and they're going to have to deal with the Penn State defense that um, has been uh, seems to be getting better every week. Josh, you're our Big Ten guy. Um, what can Michigan do to, A, slow down Saquon Barkey, Trace McSorley, and uh, Penn State's explosive offense, and, B, uh, you know, uh, do something against uh, a defense with their, you know, <clears throat> poor offense? They're going to have to do what Northwestern did. And I know people looking up Northwestern against Penn State sees 31 to 7 and says, well, that's not a very good outcome. But they made Saquon Barkley's night a living nightmare, a living hell a week ago. Uh, he had under 10 yards at halftime. I think he might have actually been at negative one yard at halftime. Uh, and that's because they just loaded up the box. But, um, you know, honestly, Michigan. The odds of them winning this game are very low. The odds of it even being competitive, frankly, are low. Penn State has said all year that getting blown out by Michigan humbled them. It was their turning point. Uh, I think they want to return the favor. I think Franklin has a little bit of chip on his shoulder, all the hype that Harbaugh gets, and he hasn't even been to a Big Ten title game, let alone Franklin winning the Big Ten last year. I think this team – hates Michigan. I think they're going to run up the score, much like Michigan did on them a year ago. And you talked about that offense being bad, Matt. Uh, that's super generous. They're 83rd in scoring, 94th in passing, and tied for just 50th in rushing. And their points against 8th, which is nice. But guess what? Penn State, numero uno, nine points per game. They've posted two shutouts. And you might make the argument that Michigan has a tougher schedule. I don't know. I couldn't pick which one was better. I'll let you guys tell me. Your opening weeks, uh, Florida versus Akron, I mean, favor, favor to Michigan, but Akron winning the MAC right now. Week two, terrible Cincinnati for Michigan, Pittsburgh, ACC team for Penn State. And week three, Air Force, who is 2-4 right now versus Georgia State who is undefeated in Sunbelt. Both Akron and Georgia State are playing well in their conferences. And then their Big Ten openers at Purdue versus at Iowa. Both teams have played Indiana. Michigan has played Michigan State. Penn State's played Northwestern on the road. I don't know. I, I mean, Michigan's might be a hair tougher, but it's not like Penn State has played 
Holy Cross four times. This is very true. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a wash because you have such good – you know, anytime you play an FBS team, it's never a horrible, horrible game. You know, Akron is leading the MAC, and the MAC's not a not a slappy conference by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, I mean, you kind of look at the schedules and, you know, it, it, you know, you can compare, compare, compare. Everyone has those games. It's just a matter of when. You know, you had at the same time Penn State was playing Akron, Michigan was playing Florida. At the same time Michigan was playing their slappy, uh, Penn State was playing Pitt. So, I mean, there you go. That's a wash. I think, honestly, I think Pitt would have a really good chance of beating Florida this year. So, um, that's even more of a wash. But so I will kind of get away from the, from the schedules here and just say that if James Franklin is patient, and if he just sticks to his game plan, Michigan, like they always do, they're going to try some stupid gimmicky trick that Harbaugh has because for whatever reason, Harbaugh either A, doesn't believe in himself and feels like he has to razzle-dazzle, or he's just crazy and he got a couple screws loose in his in his brain. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Harbaugh, but they they're, you can always count on them doing something extremely dumb every single game. Um, to kind of put themselves in jeopardy. But um, I really – and I don't really say this much about a James Franklin coach team because I kind of think he's a snake oil salesman. Um, but I really love the way this Penn State team is playing. I really love the makeup of their roster. Saquon Barkley might be one of my – might be one of my favorite running backs outside of the the red and black. Um, and uh, they're, just, they're just playing at an extremely high level right now. They're – Right now, they have me until things until they prove otherwise. This is not a fluke. I, I, I thought it was kind of fluky, but this is this is not a fluke. And uh, you know, they might get humbled later on, but I don't think I think Michigan is about to get a heavy dose of wow. Penn State is for real. Penn State's actually won the Big Ten recently, and when I say recently, I mean last year. So um, they're they're about to get the more humble pie. Yeah, and you know, Josh, you, you mentioned James Franklin sort of getting overlooked by Harbaugh, especially since, you know, I mean, since Harbaugh came to the league, he's 25 and 7 at Michigan. In that same time span, uh, Franklin is 24 and 9 at Penn State. So pretty much even records. And, you know, I think the cupboard was a lot bare at Penn State when he came in because of all the sanctions and the fallout from Sandusky. So you could argue that he has done a better coaching job than uh, Harbaugh has. Anyhow, um, the other really marquee matchup of the week um, is going down in South Bend, uh, USC, taking on Notre Dame, one of the classic rivalries of college football. Uh, if you're a fan, it's unfortunate that both these games are kicking off at the exact same time, 7.30 Eastern. So you're going to have to definitely want to be somewhere where you can have two screens on Saturday night. Uh, Notre Dame coming off of a bye uh, couldn't have come at a better time for them. Brandon Winbush has been banged up, but it looks like he is on track to start for the, for them this week, and that is going to be good for them because he has been outstanding all year. Uh, Josh, um, you know, I really like Notre Dame in this matchup. Uh, how do you feel about it? I do, too. I really like Notre Dame in it as well. Uh, I, also, have- sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but this is the most likable Notre Dame team in a while. Uh, outside of the coach. Yeah, I, outside of the coach. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, USC so far, 
road games, struggled at Cal, lost at Washington State, could have lost a week ago, could have lost to Texas. They're playing with fire. They're overrated. I don't know why they're 11th in the country. And Notre Dame, you talk about a schedule just looking better and better. Uh, when Georgia was 15th in the country and it was a one-point loss, you're kind of like, oh, that's nice. Georgia looks like they're for real. Well, now we know Georgia's for real, and Notre Dame took them to the wire. Then they creamed Boston College on the road. BC, looking a little better, just knocked off Louisville. Then they went to East Lansing, beat Michigan State by 20. Now that game's looking a whole hell of a lot better. Uh, Notre Dame, I think, is the real deal. I love their rushing game. They're fifth in the country at over 300 yards per game. And USC's rush defense, 61st in the country, giving up 146.7 yards per game, 65th in yards per attempt, 4.1 yards per carry. That means if Notre Dame runs it three times in a row, they're going to first down every time, right? That's how averages work, doesn't it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Coach, what are your thoughts here? Well, I mean, uh, coming into the season, uh, my thoughts on Notre Dame were that I think I was convinced that they were finally going to – the dam was finally going to break. The Brian Kelly era was going to – come to a crashing halt because I think he was on the verge of losing his players, but he has somehow figured out some magic potion, some magic formula. He's figured something out to get his team to play at a high level and his team is competing and they are, they are playing extremely hard for him. Uh, Since the Georgia loss, they've been blowing people out. Now, granted they haven't been blowing out the, uh, the top-notch teams and the top-grade teams, but they've, you know, they haven't been blown out slappies either. I mean, they went down to Chapel Hill and blew out North Carolina, which nobody's really done recently, since, especially since Fedora took over. And, and so they've been impressive. Brandon, Brandon Wimbush has been getting better each and every week. Um, he's finally going to, you know, his, his health is finally going to be – it's not going to be 100%, but let's be honest – after day one of training camp, nobody's 100%. So, um, but Brandon Wimbish is, uh, you know, they, he's been a true true threat for uh, – he's been what Notre Dame has been looking for since Brian Kelly took over at the quarterback position. He's offered a true dual threat. He is, you know, he's just as good in the passing game as, as he is running. Notre Dame hasn't been able to get anything like that um, from anybody. So – you know, they've always got one or the other, and they've always kind of been hamstrung at certain positions. But I think things are finally starting to kind of come together uh, for the Irish. Now, do I think they can go out and compete for a national championship? No. But I, I think they compete at a high level and go to a pretty good, solid bowl game. And I think they're going to give USC all they can handle. But I think USC's depth will probably take over in this game, much like it did uh, against Georgia for Notre Dame. Uh, I think, you know, the depth, you know, anytime they play a team with, with depth, they uh, they tend to they tend to come out on the short end of that stick because they can't just they just can't hang. 
Well, coach, you talk about them, you know, not quite being at the you know level of a national title team. If they win out, I don't know how you're going to keep them out of the playoff, though. Because I mean, because I mean, look at their schedule coming up. They've got number eleven USC this weekend, followed by they've got their home for NC State next weekend, followed by a tough Wake Forest team. Then they're at Miami, Navy at home, and they finish off at Stanford. If they run the table, you cannot keep them out of the playoff because they have the toughest schedule in college football. No, and, and they, they will have proven that. Um, and, and at that point, if, if they are still uh, a one-loss team, then heck, heck yeah, I will, I will be all for it. Um, but I just, I, just don't think, I just don't think they can get um, – I just don't think they can get through that gauntlet of, of schedule. I think Miami – they'll trip up against Miami, and I think they'll trip up against NC State. NC State is – Really good. NC State is is excellent um, on both they've, sides. They've got and they've and they've gotten better each and every week. Speaking of Wake Forest, just real quick, um, Wake Forest is at Georgia Tech this weekend. Georgia Tech's favored by five and a half. If you are a gambler, I love Wake Forest in this spot. They've got one of the best rush defenses in the country. I think they're going to hold Georgia Tech in check. Um, anyway, we got to keep going. Uh, you know, staying in, in the quasi, staying in the ACC, Notre Dame's a quasi ACC team. Uh, Syracuse fresh off of their upset of Clemson has uh, to t- head down to Coral Gables to take on the U, um, a team that we have talked about multiple times. Uh, Miami, you know, they are, they have been one of the luckiest teams um, in terms of their victories. They keep winning close ones. All you know, they have all year. Mark Rick has got this team playing like he wanted wants them to. But if you look at you know their last two games, they've won by uh, they beat Georgia Tech by one point. They beat Florida State by four points. Um, Josh, can they keep it up against a Syracuse team that has shown uh, you know an offense? You know, Florida State. Uh, sorry, a Syracuse offense that has you know shown a lot this year. I mean. If there's one thing Miami does well, is they know how to close out games. And, you know, we've sometimes seen teams be able to do this. It almost reminds me of shades of the old sweater vest when Ohio State was uh, a trestle ball. And it didn't wow you, but they would find ways to win. But uh, Miami just makes me nervous. I feel like in a couple weeks they're going to start losing some games, that Notre Dame game, that Virginia Tech game. Those are going to be tough, tough trips, uh, even though they're at home. Those are still tough outs that they have left. And maybe Syracuse trips them up. We'll see. Um, you know, what I like about Syracuse in this game is they can pass it extremely well. Dungy having a season to remember thus far. And Miami's pass defense, 38th in the country. Yards per game, okay, that's upper half, that's upper third. That's a nice mark to be at, but we got to give it some context. Bethune-Cookman, FCS, Florida State, true freshman quarterback, Georgia Tech, option team, Duke, 79th best passing offense in the country, the only passing team that they've played that actually has – some impressive passing of the Toledo Rockets. So this secondary side, baby. Yeah. This secondary has not been tested by a dungy caliber quarterback yet. Uh, Purdue entering the show. Um, But yeah, I give Syracuse 
more than a puncher's chance. If we're talking about this game as another upset, just like last weekend in a couple days, it's not going to feel as jarring as Arizona State. Honestly, Syracuse has already knocked off a really damn good team in Clemson. They, they can ball. Coach? I mean, I, I'm, you know, if I'm Miami, I'm nervous right now. Um, but that game was on Friday night last week, so Miami actually got to watch it live. So that that's – I don't know if that's an advantage for, for Miami or not. I don't know what that does. Um, I just – actually, I just watched a uh, – Houston equipment manager, water boy, uh, take a bottle of water and do some weird dance where he like squeezed the water bottle, like above his head. I don't know. That was just really strange. It was kind of funny. Um, ADD radio at its finest, but, um, <laughs> you know, anytime you, you walk into a game with Eric Dungy, it, I mean, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, Syracuse is, you know, this this is starting to become less and less lucky, less and less. Oh, they snuck up on us. They're playing some. They're playing some football. Steve Ishmael uh, is a leading receiver. He's second in the nation in receptions per game, eight point nine third in yards. He's tied for fifth in receptions per game uh, nationally. Um, and no, that's Phillips, the other, <laughs> other target. I'm sorry. Um, but I mean, it's they just. I, I don't think they bring they bring a style of offense that Miami obviously hasn't seen, um, and that obviously gives a lot of people fits. I mean, they what they were able to do to the Clemson defense was, was a thing of beauty. Um, just being able to dissect that that uh, that defense there, and whether or not Clemson was ready or whatever excuse you want to throw out for the Tigers, they got they flat out got beat, and and there's there's no if ands or buts about it. I got beat. Oh, well, I mean, here's a question I want to pose to you guys. Um, you know, speaking about dungeon it makes me think about you know sort of the state of ACC quarterbacks. I think you can make an argument that the ACC is the best quarterback league in the country right now. Um, between you know between Dungy and uh, Finley and NC State, and I mean Kirk Bankert at Virginia has been a revelation this year. Um, you know, Malik Hooker down at Miami, who we haven't talked about yet today, but he has been excellent so far this year. Sorry, Malik Rozier, I'm sorry. Uh, Malik Hooker, the former defensive back from Ohio State. Um, obviously, before he got hurt, um, you're looking at Kelly Bryant down at Clemson. I think, you know, I think they stack up to, you know, Pac-12, Big 12 as, you know, one of the best leagues for quarterback play top to bottom. I mean, you're not even talking about Lamar Jackson, obviously. I was about to say, yeah, I mean, put Lamar Jackson on Wisconsin and – they're uh, running away with the national title this year. Yeah, well, Lamar sure. Jackson on any team besides Louisville. But any, uh, well, any, oh, any team. Well, oh, you you haven't seen Lamar Jackson on Iowa. I mean, come on. Oh, still have him turn around and run a off tackle. <laughs> Get him in the I formation and just turn and hand the ball off. <laughs> yeah, Akram Rod- Wadley would still be getting three and a half yards to carry there. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost afraid that for Miami, their luck's going to run out. Um, they've been extremely fortunate. They played some extre- – you know, they have to – the formula for Miami is they have to start a lot better. Uh, they, for some – for whatever reason, they start extremely poor and they just find a way to fight back and get in the game and 
win ugly, which it's a good attribute to have winning ugly. And don't get me wrong. Winning is winning. And hell, I'll, I'll take, I'll take 12 ugly wins versus, you know, five pretty wins and five losses, uh, obviously any day of the week, but you know, eventually those ugly wins, you're not going to be able to overcome them. And with a guy like Eric Dungy, he's going to make you pay. And if, and if you're careless with the ball, and you come out flat, Eric Dungy's somebody that'll make you pay. And I'm nervous for Miami. I think they win. Um, I think they hold them off, and and they do. They get a they get an insurance field goal late to make it a ten point win um, over the Orange. But I think the Orange, uh, this is kind of their. Uh, even though we lost, it's our best game of the year type type deal. So, yeah. Um, well, we, we're going to head to Austin for our last of our deep roots. Uh, Oklahoma State heads to Texas. Texas only, you know, three and three in the season, but they have they are one of the most improved teams, uh, you know, just from week one till now. You know, close loss uh, to Oklahoma last week in the Red River rivalry. Uh, you know, this week Oklahoma State comes in, and you know, since that loss to TCU, you know, they, they've looked good, but they're still not. Um, you know, I still can't hundred percent trust this team. Uh, Josh, you know, do you think that Texas can pull off the upset here? No. Oh. Uh, uh, throw out the Red Red River rivalry. That game is. Closer more often than not. Look at Texas the rest of the time. Killed by Maryland. Lost at USC, a team that I am thoroughly unimpressed by. Uh, won by 10 at Ames in a game where Iowa State totally forgot who the hell they were and didn't run the ball. They did double overtime to beat Kansas State. Okie State drops the hammer. 35-point win. Ooh, all right, Coach. They're leaving. They're leaving uh, Royal Stadium at halftime. The DKR, Daryl yeah. K. Royal Memorial Stadium. And midway through the third, Gundy goes over, cuts up Bevo, and starts frying burgers. <laughs> <laughs> no love for the horns, man. Um, I can't hang on the horns that much because I praise them so much for for actually being competitive and, and, and physical. Uh, even though they lost, I, I think they showed me a lot. Uh, I think, however, I think they'll make this game competitive, more competitive than than it would have been if it were played three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, I think they lose by 45 points. Um, but they're kind of improving each and every week. And they're, they're doing better things. They're making – quarterback is making better decisions – the coaching staff is finally kind of finding their identity. This team is finding their identity. The culture is building. I know I keep using that word culture, but it's so important. You know, you look at these second-year coaches that have so much success, it's it's a culture thing. You know, you look at Kirby Smart, it's a culture thing. You know, there's there's a reason he's built the culture. There's a reason Sony, Michelle, Nick Chubb, Davin Bellamy, they all came back for their senior year when they could have easily gone to the draft and made a ton of money. Scott Frost, the reason he's having – the reason UCF is ranked right now. Two years ago, they were 0-11. Culture. Um, I think Texas is building that culture. However, I think it's going to be competitive for the first half. I think Oklahoma State is going to make some adjustments. And I'm going to say they're going to win by three touchdowns. Um, 
because they pull away in the second half just because they just catch fire in Oklahoma State. It's a pretty daggum good team. All right, guys. Uh, well, we're going to finish out here with some spread formations uh, coming into the week. Uh, uh, Coach leading the way at 22 and 13, Josh 18 and 17, and I am way back at 15 and 20. Our first one, uh, Josh alluded to it earlier, uh, matchup of two teams that are undefeated uh, in conference play in Conference USA. North Texas heads to Florida Atlantic, who are favored by three and a half points at home. Uh, Lane Kiffin, man, he has, uh, you know, turned this team around uh, in a good way pretty quick. So, Josh, who you got here? Yeah, you know, I was a little surprised to see Florida Atlantic uh, doing so well based on how they looked against Wisconsin and Navy to start the year. Uh I'm going to go with North Texas, though, for a couple reasons. First, I saw them against Iowa. They got some scrap to them. The fact that they've won three straight, won at the Mustard Buzzards. Southern Miss seems like the title always goes through Hattiesburg. Or the, the Golden Eagles are always in the hunt. Uh, I like North Texas to get another road victory. Coach? Ooh. Um, I like... I'm totally, I, I totally lost my train of thought here. Um, what game am I picking again? North Texas at FAU. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm going with the Mean Green on this one. I, I think, I think they're going to, uh, you know, they're just playing good. So I think I'm, I'm going to go with North Texas. All right. Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not doing uh, as hot as you guys are in my picks this year. So um, I, I got to go against you guys if I'm going to catch up. Um, and if you look at their last couple games, man, uh, uh, FAU they destroyed Old Dominion at Old Dominion, a team that we thought coming this year was going to be decent, if not great. Um, they beat Middle Tennessee State handily, thirty-eight twenty, a couple weeks back. Yeah, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Owls here. Um, as much as I hate, you know, picking Lane Kiffin, I, I think that they're, you know, he, he's building something there, man. And so, uh, give me the Owls uh, three in the hook at home. Uh, next, we've got West Virginia nine and a half point favorites on the road in Waco, taking on the team that shall not be named. Uh, after uh, West. West Virginia obviously coming off of that big comeback win over Texas Tech. Uh, Josh, uh, who you got and how many touchdowns is David Sills going to catch? <laughs> uh, well, I think a couple games ago, Coach mentioned how Syracuse, uh, see how they follow up that massive Clemson win. Can they get a moral victory on the road against Miami? Kind of something to hang their hat on. And, and Baylor – had that game already. They gave Oklahoma scare the last two weeks since. It hasn't been pretty. Uh, two touchdown loss to Kansas State. Blowed out by Okie State. They returned to form. West Virginia with that massive comeback win, getting the monkey off the back 0-10 in their last games against AP top 25 teams. Got Texas Tech. Got that Terrible streak over. I think Holgerson's team is feeling much more confident. You mentioned Sills, Greer continuing to play at a high level. This thing's not even close. I'm surprised it was under 10, quite frankly. Yeah, I think Baylor's going to get their first win, but not this week. I don't think the, <laughs> I don't think the spread. 
is high enough. I'm uh, gonna say not this season. <laughs> no, they still have to play Kansas. They still they, have to play Kansas. They'll play Kansas. They'll beat Kansas. Unfortunately, they'll beat Kansas. Hopefully, Kansas will put in a 12 lane track instead of the eight lane track and make them run a few extra yards and really just tire them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, West Virginia is going to kill them. Uh, they're they're on fire right now. Holgerson's team is the light bulb has come on at least offensively, defensively. They, I just wish some of these spread teams would get def- You would think these defenses would be in better shape uh, going against a high tempo offense in practice, but they're not. Uh, that's that's the one downfall about the hurry-up the hurry up spread offense, the hurry-up no-huddle spread offense is that your defense is on the field way too much and you don't kill enough time. So that's why defense is struggling in that scheme. So if they ever got a good defense, they would be nasty, but they don't. But they'll be they'll be nasty enough to, to dominate Baylor this weekend. Uh, I mean, the, the game's at nine and a half. Yeah. If it was nineteen and a half, I'd still probably take West Virginia. Um, I, West Virginia, yeah, it, it's uh, absolutely country roads taking me home. Um, so uh, next, uh, someone's getting off the Schneid, guys. We've got zero and six Georgia Southern at zero and seven UMass. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen an zero and seven team favored by seven points or favored at all, but especially favored by seven points. But gentlemen, these are strange times. Uh, so. Uh, you know, Josh, can the Minutemen cover the seven-point spread at home? I think they can. Uh, Georgia's Southern, oof, long season so far, uh, even longer than UMass is, quite frankly. They got drubbed by Auburn, lost to an FCS team. New uh, Hampshire. Drubbed again by a power conference team at Indiana, uh, lost by almost 20 to Arkansas State, and then last week found a new way to lose, uh, blowing a lead at home to the New Mexico State Aggies. Yeesh. Uh, 14-point fourth quarter to somehow lose that one. Uh, UMass has actually played some decent football and just have been a little unlucky. Lost to Hawaii by a field goal. Lost to uh, Temple by eight. Lost to Tennessee by just four. Lost to Ohio by just eight. The Minutemen have don't know how to win a game yet, and I think that's why they're faltering in some of these close games, whereas Georgia Southern is just out of sorts. I think UMass puts together a complete 60. They win by eight thanks to a missed point after by Georgia Southern. I've never seen in the history of Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern as a football program is as old as I am. They, Georgia Southern and myself have one thing in common. We were both born in 1983. And Georgia Southern has never been. Born in 1983 in the state of Georgia. In the state of Georgia. You're right. Um, both of the, this Georgia Southern team has never in the history of their program has never been this bad this is uh, even when they transitioned from uh the triple option to uh they they went pro style for a couple of years they still were, weren't this bad um, they've always recruited well for what they are they've always you know they've always found a way to do it they've just been 
horrible. So um, I think UMass wins. I don't think I've really ever picked UMass to win anything, <laughs> uh, except for when they had Marcus Camby. I don't think. Wait, 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 but that doesn't count because those wins are vacated. That's true. Um, I don't think they've ever been favored in a game, um, even when they play high school teams in scrimmages. I don't think they've ever been favored in a game. So this is new territory for the Minutemen. So you're, I think, you're, you're taking Minutemen minus seven? I'm taking the Minutemen minus seven. I think they take advantage. They, I, I liked what I saw against Tennessee, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, this team has a bit of resiliency. This team knows how to grind the game down to their tempo. And they do a good job of doing what they do. They've just been a little bit unlucky. As Which is funny that you mentioned that, Coach, because UMass actually has a top 20 passing offense in the country in terms of total yardage. They're averaging over 300 a game, 300 yards a game through the air. Um, I am absolutely taking the Minutemen here um, and Adam Brenneman, their All-American tight end. Uh, I, I think that, you know, this is – I've got them winning by two touchdowns here. So – um, UMass getting off the schneid, uh, kicking off a new era, hopefully, uh, over there in, um, in, in Amherst, Massachusetts. Uh, you know, this is their first year they're actually playing home games in Amherst. They've been playing down at Gillette Stadium in Boston, which is like two, two and a half hours away. Um, now they've got a, a real home atmosphere. You know, they're, they're turning into a real team finally. And, you know, I, I, think, that, I think that's good to see. So uh, heading out to the Pac-12 now, um, guys, we jumped off the Calban wagon, uh, you know, just at the wrong time. We all picked against them last week. And then what happens? They go and demolish Washington State. Um, Washington State, obviously, besides the fact that the game was uh, played under um, a a cloud of wildfire smoke, um, you know, that was obviously an air raid pass heavy team. This week, uh, they're completely flipping it up. They've got Arizona coming up to Berkeley, led by Khalil Tate in uh, that running attack of Rich Rods. Uh, Arizona three-point favorites in Berkeley. Josh, who you got? Uh, this is like picking which kid I like better, where I want to be on both of these teams' bandwagon, so it's not fun. But I don't think Cal is going to get seven turnovers two weeks in a row, and they're not going to get – Five interceptions. Khalil Tate, we can talk about his running ability all day. But I think that hides a deceptively decent arm he's got. In his two games as the starter against Colorado, 12 of 13, one touchdown, no interceptions, a buck 54. Against UCLA, 9 of 13, one touchdown, no interceptions, buck 148. He's not going to shred you through the air, but he's also limiting his mistakes. Extremely high completion percentage. Keeping you honest. No interceptions. I like where Rich Rod and this team is going. They get the road victory. I would like to push and say by a field goal, but that's not how this show works. So I'll say they do it by a touchdown. Ooh. All right. Well, uh, I, I've been a bit impressed about Rich Rod's resurgence out there in Arizona. I think he was on his way out. I was thinking he probably wasn't the best fit um, in the world for uh, for that program, which I thought he could have been, and things were starting to go south for him. But I, I think it's another upward trend, which seems to be the case in the Pac-12, where it 
seems to be a series of peaks and valleys in, in the Pac-12. So you really just got to be patient. So I think Mora, Jim Mora will go into a, a brief valley and then he'll come back with a peak. Just, just I don't, I don't think Jim Mora is coming back. I think Jim Mora is gone. Um, if, if, if he loses this week to Oregon – um, I, I don't think I, I don't think he's taking the bus back to to Westwood from Pasadena, you know. I I, I think he's gone, but that's that's a different game for a different time. Yeah. Uh, so, coach, sounds like it sounds like you're on Arizona this week. Yeah, I I think Cal was very opportunistic. I think they played above their head. I think the conditions helped them a lot more, um, and the fact that Wazoo kind of gave that game away to them. Um, they took full advantage of it, which is good, but I, I, I think they kind of played above what they actually are, which is a solid average team. Um, and I think Arizona's a team that's on the rise. Cal's just kind of plateaued right there in that that uh, average range. So I think Arizona's going to take this one. I'm taking the Golden Bears. Um, love Justin Wilcox. Love what he's doing there. Coach, you talk about culture. Uh, he's done the exact. He's done. He's done that at Cal. He has taken a team that under Sonny Dykes didn't really have an identity or a very positive culture, and now they have a clear identity um, and a you know obviously a building culture there. So yeah. uh, you know I, I'm going to take yeah. that in, in, in that defense. He is uh, you know what is an outstanding defensive mind, and I, I think that they can. Uh, you know, prepare for this Arizona uh, Arizona attack, you know, very well. And I think that, you know, I, I think the Golden Bears are going to do it, guys. Uh, I think they're going to win, going to win a close one. I see like 24-21, something like that. But I'll take the Bears at home. Uh, love a home dog. Um, but finally, guys, we had retired Kansas after they beat Texas last year. But they've done some things to come out of retirement, most notably getting shut out by Iowa State last week. So, gentlemen, it's the return of our favorite segment within a segment. Um, it's time to guess the uh, – to pick the ridiculous Kansas line of the week. This week they had to Cowtown, Fort Worth, Texas, to take on uh, the Horn Frogs of Texas Christian. Uh, TCU, 39-point favorites at home. 39. Whew. Josh, that's a big number. It is, uh, but TCU is going to cover it with ease for a couple reasons. <laughs> uh, first of all, TCU plays at Iowa State next, so it's not like the Frogs are going to be looking by them. It's not like we got a gear up for that game. Next, Kansas will be looking by TCU because they got the Sunflower Showdown next. Uh, you know they want to be Kansas State at home. So they're just going to use this as a tune-up, work on a few things, uh, probably get the second string in there midway through the second quarter when they're down. <laughs> um, I mean, they couldn't even cover this spread in Ames a week ago. They just lost 45 nothing. Come on, let's go, Frogs. <laughs> oh, uh, part of me wants to say that the frogs are going going to uh, win this game thirty five to nothing because they <laughs> halfway through the third quarter and just really got disinterested and started letting fans play. <laughs> the cheerleaders, I think they suit up a couple cheerleaders, but uh, wait, pulling uh, a fan from the crowd to yeah. play. 
Yeah. A&M will sue them for doing that because that's their tradition. <laughs> yes. Dude, that's how Johnny Manziel got on the field, right? Yeah. It, it is. Um, but no, I, no I, in, in all seriousness, I think TCU is going to cover. TCU is uh, starting to become one of my favorite uh, Power Five schools outside of UGA um, to watch. I really, I really just like the way they play football. And Kansas is not going to like the way they play football because they're going to beat the holy dog snot out of them. Ooh, I like, uh, yeah, dog snot. That, that, that's a good one, Coach. Um, I, I, I mean, TCU should cover the spread by halftime. Uh, I, I think, I think there is a, a very good chance that TCU gets, you know, seven drives before halftime and scores touchdowns on six of them. So, uh, can I uh, suggest another aspect to the segment within a segment, Matt? Yeah, go for it. Uh, instead of Wisconsin covering, is can Wisconsin even score? what they're supposed to cover the game by. Oh, gosh. Um, Can they score 24 and a half points with Alex Horterbrook leading the offense? Are, are they favored by 24 and a half this week against they Maryland? Can, can Alex Horterbrook throw the ball 24.5 yards? <laughs> oh, no, he, no, no. He's already proven that he cannot. Uh, the, he, he cannot throw a pass 24.5 yards downfield. Um, I mean, Maryland, oh, gosh, I, I, I don't even know, man. Uh, it's not like Maryland is a horrible defense. Uh, DJ Durkin's a defensive guy, um, but oh, good. Durkin's so beat up right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Another oddity I just noticed: the Buffalo Miami of Ohio game does not have a line on it. Uh, probably because I think uh, that um, th- there's probably an injured starting quarterback that they don't know if he's going to play. That's usually the reason. Oh, okay. That's usually the reason why there's no line um, just, on the game. I just assume someone in Vegas didn't realize that these were two <laughs> FPS teams. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, there are uh, – yeah, typically when you don't have a line on a game, it's because of a, you know, a very notable injury. Um, you know, they don't know who's going to play. So – Hey, on a, on a Alabama favorite by 36 also. By the uh, way. Alabama, though, uh, a fun fact about Alabama, uh, under Nick Saban, when they've been more than a 30-point favorite, they're only 5-15 and 15 against the spread um, did, when, did when they're a 30-point favorite. And Butch Nick Jones Saban. just said, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so, you know, Alabama could only win by 33 and uh, but the last time they the last time they covered the spread, Saban actually cracked a smile on the sideline. I I, I think that was actually just some sort of uh, in, instinctual reaction, and not actually him consciously smiling. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think he's actually uh, actually ever smiled on purpose. So, so um, if, if you if you cut him open, would you find would, would there would blood come out or would sparks come out? Uh, I, I think you. I think it would be uh, like WD forty. We start spewing out of him. I think he's a cyborg. Yeah, he, he he's he's something like that. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our week eight preview. Uh, Josh, any final words? A mini trap game. South Florida Bulls at that pesky two lane team. I was thinking, you know, that was that was on the chopping block for me. That was one of the, you know, when I usually set up these spread formations, I usually pick about, you know, seven, eight games and cut it down to five. That was one of the original eight I had picked this week. 
So, and I'd also the the other game that I was actually very interested in was Fresno State at San Diego State. Uh, Fresno three and zero in the Mountain West this year, guys. Um, off to a, a nice start out there. And, and I think they listened to our uniform pod because they stepped up their uniform game too. There you have it. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's going to do it for us here today on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook, this is Matt Perkins saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Don't be like Marshawn Lynch and push a ref. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.